Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. Super Bowl 56 is here. Legacies are on the line for the teams, for the players, etc. Nothing circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. And obviously, the wagons spin the fastest, the wheels, that is, for the Super Bowl. And we've got some shakeups in the National Basketball Association. Big threes dismantled. Players that haven't even played a lick this season. Moving to different teams. Legacies can be made or broken there as well. Fortunately, not with our Los Angeles Lakers. They stood back and watched and made them still unwatchable as fans. But to the Super Bowl, everybody's favorite game of the year if you're an NFL fan or even if you're not because the halftime show for millennials is going to be wild. Something that they can only dream of where rappers and musicians and artists from the peak of their generation will be performing in the halftime show. Gen Z probably won't be happy. You boomers probably won't be happy, but they're like 30 to 50 demographic that they're looking for. It's going to be Christmas morning when the halftime show comes on. It'll be nice to actually get an exciting one. I'm sure you'll be going to get chips and dip or whatever else at that time. Oh, I missed it. That's too bad. Snoop Dogg and Eminem and Dr. Dre. I'm okay. But we'll watch it for you, let you know how it is. You'll be catching the game, though, which will be exciting on all fronts. The Rams, the Bengals, one franchise, not much success. The Rams, on the other hand, getting back to the Super Bowl again. L.A., place to be, Super Bowl. They're used to this. This is what they do, the Los Angeles Rams. We have legacies for both quarterbacks. Joe Burrow has an opportunity to put himself amongst the Russell Wilsons, the Aaron Rodgerses, the Ben Roethlisberger's, those quarterbacks that were able to win the Super Bowl young in their careers, first year, second year, third year, making their legacy strong and making their owners incredibly happy that they're able to get a Super Bowl win without having to pay the arm and a leg that they expect to for their franchise quarterback. And Matt Stafford, scorned by being a lion for many, many years, no real postseason success, has an opportunity to put an exclamation point on his career, win a Super Bowl, keep acting like that kid in the candy store that he sometimes has been with that offense. Sean McVay, the monkey off his back as well. There's plenty of storylines to go around. What stands out to you as something you're most looking forward to, aside from the halftime show coming up for Super Bowl 56 on Sunday? This is an unusual Super Bowl for me. Normally, I've got a real rooting interest or a rooting against interest. And normally, if a team like Cincinnati was in the Super Bowl, which is one of my division rivals, I would be rooting heavily against them. As I have in the past, whenever Cincinnati has been involved in any postseason. Unless, of course, when they're playing Pittsburgh. But I love Joe Bay. We've been doing this show together long enough that, you know, I loved him in college. I love the I love the way the cat plays. I love the way he handles himself. He plays old. It's as simple as that. He plays like an old hand. He plays below the rim. He's a thinking man's quarterback. He never, ever seems to get flustered. He's unflappable. Take sacks. Just don't turn away, Joe B. Okay? Just don't turn away and try and outrun him this time. Go down. Don't give ground. If you try and run, don't run backwards. Did that against Kansas City. Didn't run backwards. Went laterally, got away. Prior week, went backwards, got sacked. Sacked, 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 sacked. Rams will be coming. So it will be a difficult chore for that Cincinnati offensive line. This is the best front group they've faced. So, you know, obviously better than Kansas City's, of course, uh, better than uh, what they faced, although good, against the Raiders. And despite all those sacks against Tennessee, the one seed, I still believe this is the best front group they will face, led by. Uh, the all-world defensive tackle, Hall of Famer. Uh, Can the line hold up? Can they keep Joby upright? And I do think they're going to have to hit some big plays. I don't think they're going to be able to beat the Rams the way they have won their other three games. They have not won those games with any big Jamar Chase down the field plays. One big screen, but there's been no 80 yards, 75 
73-79-82 bombs catch and run for touchdowns. There was the one screen pass, there was a decent-sized catch and run, and that was it. Other than that, it's been a pretty much control, eat-the-clock offense, Joe B. using all his weapons, including Higgins, and some chase, and a lot of Joe Mixon. We don't know if the tight end is going to play. Probably not. Boyd mixed in, and the calm of Joe B., the steady hand of Joe B. Hasn't really been gunslinger Joe B. He's been cool Joe B. Take what the defense gives me. Don't panic. Take the sack. Don't turn it over. The one bad throw against Kansas City, good play by the defender, not a great throw. I cannot fathom them being able to have the same kind of success against the Rams going slowly down the field and settling for field goals and that being enough points. I can see them scoring 23 points. 24 points, a couple touchdowns, three field goals from that great young kicker, maybe three touchdowns and a field goal, but I don't think it will be enough. And not a knock on Joe Bay. I'll be thrilled if he wins it because, like I said, he's a great kid, and it's hard to get back, and you may never get back. Ask Dan Marino. Ask Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers won his one. Hasn't been back since. Plenty of chances. Marino lost his one. Second year. We all thought he'd be back many a time. Never got back. Playoffs plenty of times. Never got back. This is not a 15-2 and two Cincinnati team. This is not a 14-3 and three Cincinnati team. It's 10-7 in a very tough division, in a very tough conference. Joe B may play better the rest of his career and never get there. So there's no way in the world he's taking this game with the attitude of, well, you know, I could be back. I'm sure I'll be back. He's taking this with the attitude of, we're here to win. This is the brass ring. In it to win it. And on the flip side, you have the veteran. Gunslinger in Matthew Stafford, who has never been there, who I really like. And I've always rooted for. And as I said to you before, he's kind of almost like Favre to me. Great arm, big plays, run around like a chicken with his head cut off as much as Favre did, but makes those bad throws that makes you shake your head because he trusts his arm so much, tries to fit something in. But a good guy. Everybody loved him in Detroit, great in the community, no wrong moves in L.A., teammates love him. Been great in these playoffs all the way through. One bad mistake. It should have been the interception against the Niners. The throw down on the goal line early on, tried to fit it in. It'll happen. I didn't like the call. I don't like going over the middle there. But he's been terrific. He's answered the call. He's gotten to the Super Bowl. Now, I don't want to hear, you know, well, you got there with golf, so if you don't win it, it's not a good trade. That's a pile of shit, all right? Because you got off of golf's contract. Goff's contract was a train wreck. And he's a mediocre, he doesn't suck. He's a mediocre quarterback. Stafford is a couple pay grades above. Stafford's got a special arm. Stafford's one of those few guys, when you see him make throws, you turn and you say, it's not a lot of guys that can make that throw. That throw against Tampa on second and 20, on the sideline to come that gave them the opening to go deep, to cup again. That throw to the sideline, that's the throw that separates the men from the boys. That's the throw he makes on a laser, under pressure, where only his guy can catch him. All the way across the field, on a rope, and then deep to cup for the winning field goal. He can make every throw in the book. And he spread the ball around. He doesn't, even though he's got cup, doesn't fall in doesn't fall in love with one receiver. He is revitalized, and Antonio Beckham Jr. has revitalized himself. To his credit, I said he was done. I said he was a cancer. Just goes to show you, 
Even the old report can get one wrong. He's been fabulous. He's been terrific. He's made every catch. He's made every play. He's done everything the Rams could have hoped for and more. He has been an integral part of them getting where they are without question. He's not just filled in for Robert Woods. He's been at least as good, if not better than Robert Woods. And he hasn't made one ounce of trouble. He's minded his P's and Q's. He's been a leader. He's handled himself with class, with style. He's handled himself the way I thought he could have handled himself when I saw him at LSU. When I said, this guy's got a chance to be a great NFL player. He may not be able to be that anymore just because of the years of the injuries, but he's playing great. Redmond will play great for 17 games, but he's played great for the Rams, and he's playing great now. Don't be surprised if he's not a huge factor in this game. The Rams' front four must be the difference. They must shut down Joe Mixon, and they must wreak havoc on Cool Hand Joe. Because if they don't, if they give him enough time, Jamar Chase will find a way. He will find a way. He'll beat Jalen Ramsey deep. Hot shot, big mouth, douchebag Jalen Ramsey, who's still trying to figure out uh, what happened against Tampa. How in the world did I get beat when I just, like, you know, stop running? How in the world did I let them back into the game? How in the world did I drop that interception right in my hands against San Francisco? I mean, it almost went through my chest. Jamar Chase will beat him for a touchdown. Mark my words. Be shocked if he doesn't. But I just think the Rams have too much. Too much talent on both sides of the ball. Kicking game. Kicking game. Punting Rams. With Johnny. Field goals. The kid. Huge advantage. Bengals. Distance. Accuracy, swagger. He's got all three. 55 and in, he's banging it through good conditions. 55 and in, Cincinnati's kicking a field goal. Rams, different story. So to me, big edge there, Cincinnati, if it's close, late. But I just think there's too much talent on both sides of the ball. And the way Matthew Stafford has been playing, if he continues to play the way he's been playing, I, I just think the Rams have too much. And I think it's going to be a good game. Competitive game. A lot of talent on the Bengals' offensive side. You know I love Mixon. You know I think he must be a key. If Joe Mixon is in the mix, the Bengals will be right there. But it's hard to get here. This could be the first and last time that Stafford gets here. It could be the first and last time that Joe B gets here. But to me, the pressure's on one guy more than any other. And that's on the boy blunder. That's on the boy genius. With the photographic memory. Who remembers every play from how badly he got outcoached a few years back by Bill Belichick. Who was awful two weeks ago against San Francisco. And literally almost gave the game away with his awful play call. And his incredibly poor strategy. Kicking a field goal when he should have punted, pinned it back deep, or gone for it on fourth and eight. Wasting challenges and timeouts on two absolutely ridiculous challenges. He had no chance of winning. His team bailed him out. He needs to do a much better job of in-game coaching. Because his team was prepared to his credit. They were the better team against the Niners. He was awful. And he almost cost his team the game. He must be better during the game. Preparation, terrific. But you still got to coach during the game. Your play calling has to be sharp. Your play calling has to be consistent. And you must be conscious of down, distance, continuing to move the chain, chains, getting points, and not wasting timeouts and challenges. This is one game. It's not one game in your season. It is your season. It's not just 
the three phases. There's a fourth phase when you get here. And that fourth phase is the guy calling the shots and making the decisions on the sidelines. Let's see what the boy genius has this time around. He's been awful in his last NFC Championship game, and he was awful in his one Super Bowl. To me, that's where all the pressure lies. I think Matthew Stafford will be fine. I think Joe Burrow will be fine. I think the Cincinnati coach, who's done, despite everybody's constant criticism, I think he'll be fine. I need to see what young Mr. McVay does with the spotlight and the pressure on him. Three and a half is the spread on most books. It's been up to four. It's been up to four and a half. It's fluctuated, but three and a half is usually where you can find it. I'm guessing. So it's coming in. That's the number it's coming in. Got up to four and a half. They wanted people to bet the Bengals. They got their wish. It's come back in. All along, I've said 27, 23 Rams. That's now for the cover, but that's still a little bit of a hedge on my part. So just to bump it up, to give you a definitive Rams cover, I'm going to throw another field goal on it and make it 30-23 Rams because I don't want to be accused of hedging or and I you know I've been on Cincinnati every game I pick Cincinnati to not just cover but to win every game. Yeah, money That's Mister Ten and Two AWP against the number Eleven and One on winners. I'm taking the Rams obviously to win and to cover. 30-23, it will be a tight, hard-fought game, but I, I just think the Rams have the edge on both sides of the ball, much more on defense, a little bit on offense, much more on the defensive side. Now, we do say on the show when we do picks to hedge accordingly, so keep that in mind after especially you hear what our records were this postseason historic for the show. No question about it. Maybe historic for our life. Maybe not his historic for Al because he wasn't young enough to actually be betting on these things, although he can on his phone. But there was a time when there were things called bookies and he actually had to go to windows. Those were the days, the glory days of betting, but historic for the show. That means we're due for some disaster though. So just keep that in mind as you maybe play some wagers on the games. I too am favoring the Rams. I mean, you just look at it on paper and you could picture it in your mind. This should be the Rams game. It really should. Based on the talent level that they have on both sides of the ball, based on the Bengals offensive line, I know Joe Burrow has done Joe Burrow things, but we've seen quarterbacks and players have that happen to them where they're at the top for game upon game, and then it comes crashing down at the highest stage, unfortunately, sometimes. Doesn't mean that's going to make or break their career just adds for a redemption story at some point down the road. But I could see this being the game where it just doesn't hold up anymore. Eventually it becomes too heavy. And that might be the case for the line. That might be the case for Joe Burrow. Just having one slip away for an interception, one mistake, two mistakes. It happens in football it happens in sports. You're not a dog for doing it. It just might be not your night. And it just seems like this is the game for that. For the Bengals, it seems like the luck that they've had to this point, and there's been luck. There's been Joe Burrow's skill. There's been Jamar Chase. There's been Joe Mixon, et cetera. But there's been and a great kicker and a, a tremendous kicker. Best kicker in the league. Clutch. Wait, bite, bite and, your tongue. Bite your tongue. <laughs> there it is. I was just making sure you're awake. Bite Clutch and not a fear bone in his body. Well, I guess we're going to the AFC Championship game. Kicks the game winner. I mean, it's just hysterical to be able to remember what Jay Feely said. Remember what Jay Feely said. You know, does the commentary. Justin Kicker, Justin Kicker, Justin Tucker firing away the best kicker in our league. And then he commented about the kid. Mm -hmm. Um, The kid's been unbelievable, been unflappable. He's got great range. He right now looks like he's kicking into an ocean. Just if you're, the, if you're the broadcasting crew, lay off, though, because they're going to be talking him up like we are right now. They're going to be course. begging him to miss a field goal, and of you're going to cost people a lot of money because they're throwing down on the Super Bowl, and kicking is one of the favorite things to bet for and against. How far the kick will be, will he miss the first extra point, et cetera. Don't do it, announcers. Just let it happen. Wait till it's over. Wait till it's true. But you look at what the, the easy route are. to take. It seems like it's is the after it leaves his foot, you've called it good. 
continues his great kick. Exactly. Then put you up. You say the he has it missed after he has it missed. Don't tell us he has it missed before he makes the kick on third down. Before they even bring him out there. Well, it's third and nineteen. Looks like it's McPherson's time. What are you doing? Wait until he at least gets out there. They can't wait to jinx the kicker. So keep that in mind when you're making your bets too. But it just has the feeling that maybe this is the game where the breaks don't go the way of the Bengals. Those late interceptions that won them these three games don't come from a Matt Stafford. Be the Aaron Donald two sack, one fumble defensive MVP game. Hey, and it could be the... I'm Von Miller. Remember me? <laughs> remember six Super Bowls ago? What's up? Both Absolutely. of them could be dominant in this game. Absolutely. But Aaron but Donald the, but, is but, due but for Miller a... Miller has had that moment. Yes. Aaron Donald is not. And I mean, he's Donald, due for a Donald game had, of, oh, Donald wreaked it. havoc last week. Yeah. They only had a couple sacks, but they were he wreaked havoc a good chunk of the game, and especially late. It could be finally that crowning glory that puts him in the group that I've talked about. Yeah. Merlin Olson, Bob Lilly, Mean Joe Green, the three greatest defensive tackles of my lifetime. Could he join that group by dominating in a Super Bowl, winning a Super Bowl, and who knows, maybe even, I mean, they always give it to the quarterback, but maybe even winning a Super Bowl MVP, which is rare, of course, on the defensive side of the ball, especially when it's a defensive one. I, too, like the Rams. I, too, wouldn't mind seeing the Bengals win. It's a pleasure to have one of these games where you don't have to hate. There's not hate in your heart for a specific opponent from how they've wronged your team. There's good storylines that you could follow. What I'll be actually doing, like most, is just following my money. Where did I put my money on? And that's going to be what either pisses me off or brings me joy. Did my prop bets cash? Did my over-unders hit? Did the team that I actually picked to win end up winning? That will probably be the basis for the joy or sorrow I feel for the winner or loser. Just basically how much money I won or lost. Not so much for the teams themselves. But I'm going with the Rams with that number, three and a half. And the total 48, you'd love to see that go over just for the excitement portion of it. But it wouldn't be surprising to lean the under for that if what we're talking about is what ends up happening. If the Rams defense is playing lights out and shutting down Joe Burrow, that would lead you to believe the Bengals aren't going to score enough points to help the 48 hit. So we'll see. Fate accordingly, as always. Take into what we said into consideration, but be wary of how things have gone for us so successfully to this point when you make your bets based on the new report, old report. Speaking of the prop bet side, are you of any interest to prop bets, either the player ones or the silly ones like the Anthem or the Gatorade or the coin toss, or that doesn't interest you anymore as the old Well, the Anthem always interests me in terms of the length, but give me some props. Let's run a couple. We've got the NBA to get to and the trade deadline and the massive deal that was made today. But throw a couple props at me, and then we'll close up the Super Bowl. Well, let me just start with the first one that everybody seems to bet on after the anthem. It's the coin toss. What are you going with heads or tails? Uh, I always go tails, never fails, which it usually does, but that's always my call. I am a heads guy. I've always been that way. I don't know why. Heads doesn't have a cool rhyme to go for it, but I usually go heads. And I think heads is hit the last several Super Bowls, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, which means, again, tails is due. If you're looking I actually think from experience in life, as part of the old report, I don't buy this 50-50. Even though I go tails never fails, in my lifetime, I actually think it's come up more heads <laughs> than it has tails. And there's just my own my own personal experience. There's millions others that are thinking the same. There's no way this is a 50-50 proposition. Absolutely not. But they some they at least have it as a 50-50 option in most books you could get it at the same odds. Sometimes they get skewed, which is always interesting to me because it's supposed to be 50-50. Let's see if I could find some fun ones or some popular ones. One that people like to do because of the odds for it. Will the shortest touchdown of the game be over or under one and a half yards? The over is plus 120. The under is minus 150. 
So that's assuming that you're getting to the one yard line and you're going to punch it in at some point during the game. That's what Vegas favors. Do you think that will be the case or not? Give that to me again. The shortest touchdown of the game will be over or under one and a half yards. So it's basically asking you, will someone score from the one or will someone not? Over. The over is plus 120, so that's good. Over. Over. They just can't get down to the one. The two is fine. Over. Punch it in. That's Over. a fun one that people like to root for. There's... I don't think you'll see any plunges. Over. Will the opening kickoff be a touchback is another popular one. Yes is minus 150. No is plus 130. Well, it depends about who's kicking off. Let me help you out with this for a little added topic tidbit here. The opening kickoff has not been a touchback in 26 of the past 28 Super Bowls, including the past four. So the no at plus 130 is actually in your favor for that. 26 out of the past 28, they've taken it out of the end zone. I think they like the... I'm saying it is going to be a touchback. So Evan McPherson ranked 19th in touchback percentage. And Gay ranked 15th in touchback percentage. So they might just kick it out of the back of the end zone and you won't even have the chance. So there's that too. You could knock off five, six, or seven different prop bets before the the first offense even takes the field. Sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Your night is either made or broken, and the game didn't even Before there's even a snap. Will there be a two-point conversion? Yes, plus 100. No, minus 120. A two-point, a successful or an attempt? Just an attempt. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah, well, why not? Yes, for sure. I saw one. It was, will a quarterback catch a pass? And I think it was plus 400. Yeah, what the hell? You know, people try all sorts of different things. There's a, a Jamar Philly special Chase prop. Jamar Chase over three and a half rushing yards. Now, if you look at what he did during the regular season, they rarely, if any time, handed him the football. Why would you? But in the postseason, they've done it several times. He's gotten two or three carries each game. One of the games he finished with 22 rushing yards, I believe the first game of the postseason. So, hey, what the hell? Throw a little money down on things. If you see that the odds are in your favor, folks, you're getting great odds on stuff, throw a couple shekels down, as Scott Wetzel used to say. Like Ben Skronik to score a touchdown, plus 800. What the hell? Maybe you'll find him wide open in the back of the end zone again, like he did against the 49ers, and he dropped it. Maybe this time he catches one, and you're a happy guy. I'm going uh, over on Chase's roughly. I like that, too. Because, again, that's you assume one play, and it's over with. They hand it to him, he gets four, you've won. Just don't hand it to him again. Just don't hand it to him again. Don't do it again. Take him out. Odell to win the MVP is plus 2,800. Why not? Throw a couple of shackles down. Cooper Cup's longest reception, over 29 and a half yards at minus 110. Over. They think he's going to have a very good game, according to over. Vegas. There was a boost I saw for his receiving yards, over 124 and a half. Woo! But just when you think he's not going to get it, he does. That's what happened the last time they were out there. What's our national anthem number? Let us find what the national anthem number is. And who is performing? That's a good question, too. That's gotten lost in the shuffle for... I'm sure it'll be nobody I know. Lost in the shuffle with the halftime show as we've forgotten who's doing the national anthem. Mickey Guyton will kick off the Super Bowl festivities. Let's see if there is a biography for some excitement of that. She is a Grammy nominee for her 2020 hit single, Black Like Me. She has previously sang the Star Spangled Banner at the National Memorial Day concert last May and at the 2015 Country Radio Seminar in Nashville. Both of those performances came in at under 90 seconds, but one was pre-taped and the other one was an acapella performance because of a fairly low-profile event, so neither are good ways to gauge her upcoming performance. See, this, they don't mess around with these things. There's deep dives into people's entire lives to Everything see if you can bet Everything is broken it. down. What does she like to eat? What is her family like? 
These are the types of questions that we like to see. And what's our number? Sportsbooks place an over-under estimate on the length of Guyton's performance between about 95 or 98 seconds. The over-under can vary as more information becomes available leading up to the game. So you don't – they haven't given us a number. Not one that I can see yet. They've given us a range. We have a range. Historically, a 98-second performance would put her on the short end of the banner renditions of the Super Bowl. Gamblers began tracking the performance as a prop bet around 2007 when Billy Joel hit the under with a 90-second performance. Since then, the average performance hits about two minutes, with Alicia Keys setting the longest rendition at 236. Artists clocked the over eight times in that frame and hit the under six times. Kelly Clarkson was a push back in 2012, we all remember, with her 94-second performance. I'm going over 98 seconds. All right. That's the highest number we've got in this range, so I'm going over 98 seconds. That's the best I can give you because it's the best they gave me. Yeah. I'm going to take the under of whatever that is, and we will update everyone next week, obviously, what the official number comes into because people get out their phones. I mean, this is if you're at a Super Bowl party, everybody quiet down, get your phone out. We got to hit start at the same time and see what number we all come up with. Because it's by the seconds. Now you can find it out real fast on the old internet machine. So far, last year, the over hit with Eric Church and Jasmine Sullivan. Then there was five unders in a row. Demi Lovato, Gladys Knight, Pink, Luke Bryan, and Lady Gaga. All unders. 2015, the last over, aside from those. Idina Menzel, of course. Broadway. That's what we're working with. See, this is All right, before some of the best we research leave, we've had so far on the show. Before we leave, we're both on the Rams, both to cover. Give me your MVP. I'm going to go with Matt Stafford because what we've said up to this point would lead you to believe that the Rams will win. And if that's the case, what would lead you to believe the Rams were able to win, it's most likely because of their offense and Matthew Stafford. Now, as you mentioned, Aaron Donald, someone on the defense is a great possibility. That could be something that ends up pushing them ahead, especially if they end up getting a touchdown via an interception or a fumble. But I think the easiest choice, the homer choice, the cop-out choice is Matt Stafford. If I had to pick a wild card, I'll go with Cooper Cup. And the numbers that have been historic for this season happen one more time and he ends up going over a hundred gets two scores and becomes the guy in the very rare wide receiver MVP. That'll be my off the kilter pick Cooper cup. You started with Stafford. You finish with cup. You get one. Well, I wanted to give people one because Matt Stafford's easy. Well, of course, if the Rams win, they're going to give it to the quarterback. It always goes to the quarterback. So you okay, well, I'm picking Cooper cup. There you go. Perfect. I we like both it. like the Rams. I'm taking the other end. I'm taking the backside of the connection because I'm a backside guy. Go Joe B, though. Do us proud. Play well. Head high. And you want to know something? If you pull a rabbit out of the head again, that's fine by me. I still will have had an incredibly successful postseason. Oh, we'll have had a tremendously successful postseason row. Absolutely. Well, it could, it could end now and we'll still be okay. But people will say, well, you got to get the biggest game right. They're all the same. Legit. They're all the same. And if what we've been talking about comes to fruition, you mentioned it. If the Rams lose, that's the storyline for the legacy side of things. Matt Stafford can't win the big game. Sean McVay can't win the big game. Aaron Donald is the best defensive player, but it doesn't matter because he didn't impact the game enough. Von Miller couldn't do anything. Odell Beckham Jr. came over here, changed his career, but he still can't get the ring. If the Bengals don't get there, it's there's so much optimism with this team that you don't really have the negative portion of it. It's he, Joe Burrow's only in his second full season, really. Jamar Chase is young, and they're going to benefit from not being thrown under the bus in a loss, in a sense. They'd have to play one of the worst games you'll ever see to even consider that. But I think they're off the hook if they lose for all of it. I, you could just chalk it up to first game experience for Joe Burrow, first game experience for Zach Taylor, It'll all just be, well, they weren't ready for the stage. Hopefully we see them again soon. If the Rams lose, that's when the first takes of the world are going to get to pile on because there's a ton of people that can get thrown under the bus. Don't forget Jalen Ramsey. 
Don't forget. You're exactly right. There's another one, too. So good luck, Rams. Although people in the sports media, they wouldn't mind seeing you lose. Good content for the shows. Speaking of content, we got content from the NBA. The trade deadline ended today. We had the sit-down roundtable shows, breaking the news, Woj in his bunker, tweeting, texting, on the phone, on TV, windors, winded, trying to get everything straightened out. The big story of the day is another big three broken up. As the big three in Brooklyn is no more after just 16 games of the actual big three playing together, a stretch in which they went 13 and three. So the experiment worked on the court, but everything that happened off of it proved to be too much as Brooklyn sends away one James Harden who wanted out of Brooklyn. He wanted away from KD. He wanted away from Kyrie Irving and Philadelphia who many said wanted away from Ben Simmons, got their wish too. He goes to Brooklyn, apparently very excited to finally step foot on a basketball court, along with Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, two first-round picks for the Brooklyn Nets. KD was first seen making his picks for the All-Star game with LeBron James as the other captain for the West. The picks came down to Rudy Gobert, who LeBron was left with last time they did one of these drafts, and James Harden, to which Kevin Durant in his pick said, yeah, I probably need a big guy and played it off like that until the guys in the TNT studio like Charles Barkley started poking fun at him saying, what's wrong with James Harden? What do you think he's not going to play? And LeBron lost it. And that's really been the best highlight for any Laker this season is that laughter in that clip because there was no laughter after they got shellacked and embarrassed by the Portland Trailblazers. But that's for another story. What did you make of this deal that was somewhat bubbling for months in the case of Ben Simmons and steaming, boiling, etc. in recent weeks and days from the James Harden camp wanting out of Brooklyn and blowing everything up? First things first, I don't know if the Sixers got what they wanted. Daryl Morey got what he wanted, which is James Harden. He has a man crush on James Harden. Wherever he goes, he's got to have him. He quit on Houston after he wanted to get there, talked his way to the Nets, and he quit on them. It doesn't matter what caused it. You're getting paid. If one of your teammates like Kyrie pisses you off because he didn't get vaccinated, well, you want to know something? You really should take it up with him. Man-to-man face-to-face. You don't take it out on management and your team and your teammates and quit on them. You're getting paid. You quit again. You know, if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, when the fuck are you going to learn it's a duck? He's a great talent. He's a wonderful offensive player who's aging. Not quite what he was, maybe not near what he was. We'll see now when he starts trying again. And if he's healthy enough to do that. But he quit again. So it, in some ways, it's a little similar, more than a little similar, to what the Sixers had. Both guys had, both teams had guys who weren't playing for him. Simmons all season, Harden recently. So what's the ultimate trade? In terms of what you gave up, the Nets gave up Paul Millsap. And the Sixers gave up two first-round picks and Baby Curry. Advantage Nets. More importantly, in the big picture of things, two dogs with no heart, no guts, no soul. Supreme talents. Harden will help the Sixers now because that's a big upgrade over Curry and two picks and no Simmons. He gives them a better chance to win a championship. Absolutely. He's got this season and next season. Will they win a championship? Doubt it. Will Daryl Morey ever win a championship? Doubt it. Very funny. Ironic. Uh, we have to, we, we have to, you know, just take the best 16 teams. You know, we, we can't, you know, the East sucks. Everybody quits in the West. Mile times have changed. Now look at the East. Three games separate first to sixth. The East is much tougher than the West. Will the Sixers be able to battle through and win a title? 
I seriously doubt they'll even get out of the East. Do they have a better chance than they did before this trade? Absolutely. Presuming that James Harden has been once again reborn because he's off of yet another team he quit on and will instantly be healthy, whether it's his right hand or his left hamstring or his girth or whatever the fuck it is that makes him not want to play for the Nets or just being away from the goofball, know-it-all, 250 IQ Kyrie Irving here at the swap. On the other hand, for the future, I think Daryl Morey got fleeced. Why'd you give up the two picks? Stand your ground. You stood your ground eating with Maxie. You didn't give thigh ball. Good for you. Why'd you give up the two picks? Because if that's the case, Sean Marks, you're not getting them. You're getting Curry and you're getting Simmons. That's it. That's it. Because I'm look where I am now. I'm fine now. It seems to me to come back and play for me. Addition by addition. If he doesn't have in the offseason, you're stuck. Because Harden's not coming back and playing for you. He's going to opt out. So you got to move him. You got to do something to improve because you suck now. By the way, they lost again tonight to the Wizards. But the point is, Katie's hurt. The goofball only plays away games. And Harden's not going to play for you. So I'm not giving you the picks. Here's what I'm giving you. Take it or leave it. Mark's held up for the draft picks. He got them. And now the Nets are lined up for the future. What do you got? You got a healthy KD, still a superstar. You got the goofball, all right, who is a wonderfully gifted player. He's nuts, but he's a wonderfully gifted player. And next season, he's going to be able to play at all the arenas because the mandate will be gone. Who knows? He may even take the shot. Doubt it. But by then, chances are he'll be able to play in all arenas. Most importantly, his home. And you will have Ben Simmons, who, if not by the trip back from Miami, certainly by next season, will have gotten over his mental anguish and his mental health issues, which will suddenly be over shortly, by the way, which is a joke and a slap in the face to those who suffer from mental health issues, that Ben Simmons suddenly is okay. What a joke. What a fiasco. But the Nets get what they desperately need. They get a dynamic defender, a big defender, a versatile defender who is young and under contract for years to come. Who gives a shit if he can't shoot? You got KD to do that. You got the goofball to do that. And you got baby Curry to do that. You don't need a guy to shoot. You don't care if he ever shoots. Drive, dish, defend, dunk. Perfect. And you get two first-round picks. And he Curry. I don't know how many teams he's been on. He's a great shooter. You got another shooter spread the spread the floor. And you had Joe Harris never comes back or isn't nearly as good as he was before he got hurt. Curry can knock it down. And he's got all kinds of guys around him to take the pressure off him. This is a home run for the Nets. And I can't stand Simmons. But he'll be calm there. He'll be quiet. And he'll have KD to lead. And he'll have the goofball to shoot. And he'll have Curry to shoot. He won't have anybody screaming at him to shoot. Because they won't need him to shoot. They put up a wall like Tom Burns did against KD. You got the goofball. You got Curry. You don't have to shoot. If you struggle from the line, we'll take you out in the last couple minutes. Who gives a shit? The Nets hit a home run. They got a young stud an excellent shooter, and two picks for a stiff that didn't want to play for them anymore. And who's old and getting older by the second helps the Sixers right now and for next year, absolutely, because it's an upgrade over nothing and Curry, home run for the Nets. Maybe now, depending on when KD gets back and when Simmons decides to play, but out of the park in the future. Out of the park. This guy's 20, what is he, 25? This is a home run for Sean Marks. How in the world he forced him to give up those two draft picks is beyond me. He had him over a barrel, a floundering franchise, a drowning team. He didn't just throw him a life preserver. 
he threw him a yacht because now you've got to deal with the next and that the Nets next year for sure because they will be at healthy, full strength, and ready to rock. And you gave him two picks. Yep. Harden promised he's going to opt in. Forty-seven and a half million. Good luck. If he wants to be there next year. year, After next year, he is qualifying for a deal that on the last year of the contract, I want you to listen to this. Listen this very closely, folks. Listen very closely and see if you can believe it. If James Harden opts in, which he has promised he will, the contract he will qualify for if he stays with the Sixers will pay him at 38 years of age and the last year of the contract, $62 million. Not the life of the contract. The last year of the contract, James Harden would make $62 million at 38 years of age. This is this is NBA basketball, right? This is not a baseball contract for a 38, 39, 40-year-old future Hall of Famer, like a pool holster or a stand that gets 50-something plus million because they signed an eight- or nine-year deal. This is basketball for one year, you're saying. But they don't get 50. They, they don't get that. They, they, they don't get, they get this, they no. Get, they get 25. They get 25, 20, 30. That's 62. Oh 62 million dollars according to bobby marks on this that last year of the supermax if he signs it with the sixers after the last year of his contract which will be next year's contract at 38 years of age the dollar figure will be 62 million dollars and remember lebron is playing how he is this year at 37 so they're expecting that type of output a year older from James Harden. God bless you, Philadelphia. So, Daryl Morey, it's now or never. Yeah. If you don't win a championship, this trade is a total and complete disaster. I said he needed to pull the trigger to Tom Byrne. Absolutely. But you didn't need to send the picks and vastly help the Nets for the future. Picks in this league are huge. They become great collateral for trading purposes. Great collateral. Everybody loves them. Everybody uses them. Everybody wants them. Not so much like in the NFL where they want them for those players to use them. In the NBA, they want them to trade them. In the NBA, first-round picks are like timeouts in an NFL game. Save them, save them, save them, save them. And then use them when you have to. Use them as collateral. Trade up. Use them for cap space. They are beloved. And to get two first-round picks in this trade is, in my mind, ridiculous. As I said, he had, he being Daryl Morey, the self-proclaimed genius, Mr. Analytics, had them dead to rights. As I said, he could just continue on. His team's really good. He's got the MVP. He could have traded Ben Simmons over the summer. But he had to pull the trigger and get Harden now. That's fine. That's perfect. But as much as you had to have them, they had to get rid of them even more. You needed to pull the trigger. But they were underwater and drowning. And you bailed them out by giving them far more than you had to. Helps you now. You're better kills you later and if you don't win a title you're dead 
in the water, which is where the nets were. Tremendous job by Sean Marks. Speaking of disastrous trades and draft picks, the word on the street for our Los Angeles Lakers is that there was the potential for a Russell Westbrook for John Wall trade, except those trading John Wall wanted the first round pick of the Los Angeles Lakers for 2027. And the Lakers told the Rockets, nah, we keeping that pick. What say you for that possibility? Because we have talked ad nauseum off this show. I don't think you've had the rant that it deserves, but you could all imagine it for how disastrous the Russell Westbrook trade has turned out to be. One that you've called the worst trade in franchise history. Could have got rid of him for John Wall. Would have lost the pick in 2027. LeBron, by then, you would assume, is gone. So, obviously, important for whatever that team will look like. So, they're holding on hope for that. But in the short term, bye-bye, Russ. Hello, John Wall. Shot down by the Lakers. Well, here's the, here's the deal. Do we want to get rid of Russ? Of course, because of his contract, which means you were still going to get John Wall's contract. How much better were the Lakers going to be with John Wall than they are with Russell Westbrook? I have no idea. It would be ridiculous for me to comment on a guy. Was the last time we saw John Wall play? Exactly. So for me to sit here and say they would be markedly better, I have no idea. Do I think they'd be better if John Wall is healthy, which I believe he is, and ready to play? Probably. Simply because Russ is playing so poorly. Because it's gotten to the point now where it is in his head. Russ didn't forget how to play. Russ didn't forget how to shoot. Russ can't guard people the way he used to. But Russ is missing layups. Russ is missing. You, know, you, don't, you don't stop being able to shoot 12, 13, 15 footers, or especially free throws. Russ is lost right now. So the Lakers would be better with John Wall, but that's not enough to make the Lakers a championship contender against a team like Phoenix and Golden State the way they're playing in the West because the Lakers can't defend. Their best defensive players, with the exception of Anthony Davis, are all gone. There are three top defenders in Caldwell Pope, Kuzma, and Caruso are long gone. That was part of the problem. That's what made the Lakers so good. What made the Lakers a champion was not just LeBron James and Anthony Davis. It was their ability to defend all spots on the floor at all sizes. Their versatility defensively in terms of they could play big with Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee and James and Caldwell Pope and Danny Green. They could also go small with Davis at the center and still have the ability to defend the perimeters with long guys. Yeah, Danny Green's gone, but they still had Pope and they still had Kuzma and they still had Caruso. Those are all excellent defenders on the wings and at the point, excellent rebounders. Those, those championship contributors who are not stars, those guys that all championship team needs. Championship team is not a team of five stars. It's a team of two or three stars and massive, almost a contradiction in terms, but massive bit players. Guys who play a lot and they give you a little bit of everything. And that's what Kuzma and Pope and Caruso gave you all the time. They're not centerpieces. They're side pieces. But the thing is, they know their side pieces. And they know their job. And they know what they're supposed to do. And they concentrate on it. They excel at it. Because they know how important what they do is to winning a championship. Because all the pieces of the puzzle make up the title. All the pieces of the puzzle win the LOB, not just the big pieces. And all the Lakers have left are the two big pieces, a nice young acquisition in Monk who's still learning, and an aging veteran in Carmelo Anthony who's been wonderful. But they have no people who can defend the floor where right now in this game, it's most vital to defend, which is the perimeter. 
AD is a great defender. But you can't expect him to go out and guard Steph Curry or guard Chris Paul. Once in a while, yeah. But all the time, of course not. They simply don't have that versatility defensively, and they don't have that versatility offensively. Because even those guys, even though those guys were great three-point shooters, they were good enough in four games of a series to win you a series. They may not knock them down for four straight or four out of five, but they'll knock enough down for four out of seven, whether it's Pope, whether it's Caruso, whether it's Kuzma. And again, as I said, you still could add Carmelo. You still could add Monk. But by trading for Russ, you could add no one. Because your cap strapped and your assets strapped. And that's what killed the Lakers. They broke up a championship team simply because they didn't win a championship. I have no problem with them not doing this deal. It's about next year. Needed to keep the asset. If you can make a deal for Russ in the offseason, great. No reason to give Hort- Taylor Horton Tucker away. What? To get Josh Richardson? To get Terrence Ross? If it was Taylor Horton Tucker and the first round pick for Harrison Barnes, who's a championship player and signed next year, absolutely. I'm all in. And maybe that's an offseason deal. If it's that for Jeremy Grant, absolutely. We're not getting them now. So why bother now? Why, bo- why bother give it away assets that can help you later when you're not going to win a championship by bringing in Terrence Ross or Josh Richardson or John Wall? It's wild how the history of the league in the past several years has been impacted so severely just from the decisions that the players have now been able to make for themselves. Kevin Durant wanted to leave a modern-day dynasty in Golden State to go to the Brooklyn Nets and bring over his friends. Well, at least bring over Kyrie Irving, whom he thought just wanted to go hoop, wanted to be a basketball player get out there and, and be one of the top 10 players of the world. We saw you do it with LeBron. Be my sidekick now. Brings in his friend James Harden. Let's make a big three. Let's be the guys here. And when they were on the floor together, it was terrifying. 13-3 and three in the 16 games that they actually were on the floor together. But injuries plague them. And then this past year or two, two years really, Kyrie deciding not to get the vaccine James Harden just getting maybe sick of the bullshit. Maybe he got his jersey retired in one of the strip club rafters in New York like he did down in Houston, and he said, I'm done. I did my time. I'm up in the rafters. I'm good. Let me get out of here and go to the next town. Whatever the situations ended up being, it's over, that experiment. So Kevin Durant's left with an away games Kyrie Irving. As you mentioned, thankfully, they brought in some things to at least get him a little bit more excited. But what we thought would be the rug was pulled out from that quicker than anyone could have expected. And the Lakers are an injury away from at least getting back to the NBA finals. No question to at least getting to the NBA finals last year. Of all these four steals so far, if you want to qualify it or rate it based upon winning a championship, the only forced trade that's worked is the trade for Anthony Davis. Right. The original starting point of this for the Lakers, bringing in AD, whatever you need, we want him. And it worked. Now, the circumstances were different for the entire world. We understand the bubble, etc. But they won the championship. Now, for fans, it may not feel as, as special for us because we didn't get to go to games. We didn't get the atmosphere. There's not the Kobe Bryant-esque moments that we had when he was winning championships, but it's still going up in the rafters. And for whatever reason, LeBron and now AD decided, eh, let's try something new. And I know people like to say that the Lakers are wasting LeBron at 37, which just sounds preposterous, but there's no way that he didn't have a hand in what the team did to make it what it is now. They wanted Russell Westbrook. They brought him in. They wanted Melo to play with LeBron. They brought him in. They fucking did this just as much as Palinka or Jeannie Buss or anybody else as part of the management and ownership of the Lakers did. And it hasn't worked. So, well, the yeah, Mello, there should be egg on their face. Melo was stupendous. That is Mello's a great been of that. He has been great. But the Russell Westbrook 
deal and what they gave well, you, up you for didn't have to give up anything to get is useless. The Westbrook deal simply just again, you know, it, 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 he's not what he's not the player he was, but it's a terrible fit, and he cannot defend. And again, you gave up so much of your team to get him. That's the problem. You gave up pieces that were vital to the team and reasons, three of the reasons that you were the best team in the league defensively. And we bust on McVay for his quote-unquote photographic memory. LeBron's got a memory close to that. He remembers everything that happens plays-wise. He could tell you things from years ago. You didn't realize the reason or the biggest reason y'all won that championship in the bubble was because of your defense, and you didn't see who was playing that defense, you got rid of them all. Why? What were you watching? What did we miss? Because it was pretty easy to see who was playing the defense that became what you were known for when you won the championship. And you said, we'll be fine. We'll figure it out with older legs. What did you see? And re- did you pop in the wrong tape? Were you watching Russell Westbrook from five years back? What happened? The YouTube link was wrong. They sent them the wrong seasons. As educated a basketball mind as he is, in his own game, he has become, I don't want to say dominated, but much more of a perimeter player with the emphasis on the three-point shot. No one should know better than him how important it is to defend the perimeter. And the Lakers had the ability to defend the perimeter with those three players. And yes, Danny Green being the fourth. Okay, Green was gone. But the point is, those were three vital elements at defending the perimeter. And they're all gone. And replaced by all older players with the exception of Monk. Wouldn't have killed you to bring them all back again. Well, you traded two of them and you gave and you let the third one walk. You could have still had the, the rest deal forced all of this. Yep. The rust cap number forced you to decide between Caruso and Horton Tucker. They had a tough stretch last year in the postseason. LeBron was out. LeBron came back. You were up 2-1 on the Suns before AD got hurt. You forget that? You're not beating anybody without him anyway. You're up 2-1 on the Suns. You were right there. Broder gone. Harold gone. Fine. Just fill in their pieces. And it's You still, don't have to uh, replace them with Russ and break up the team. It's still a half asterisk season after a full asterisk season because of where the world was. We're all still going over the fucking pandemic. So if somebody doesn't play their best or things don't go right or somebody can't play because of the, the rules and regulations that are going on, fine. As everyone loved to say, these were unprecedented times, Al. The world had an asterisk. Somebody print our damn T-shirts before it becomes old news. If it didn't work out for you, fine. But this would have been okay to say, let's run this back or at least damn close to it. And everybody has egg on their face because they didn't want to do it. Let's supplement what we've got. Let's not destroy what we've got. They destroyed what they had simply because they didn't win a title one year. And Kuzma was just getting better. Yep. Excellent year in Washington. Pope is always the same. Pope's a dynamic defender who's long, athletic, plays incredibly hard. And one night can be a big-time score, and the next night, maybe doesn't put it in the ocean. Can't be any but worse than Russ, okay. Al. What, are you going to shoot okay it off the side he, of the backboard like you were doing in the postseason? That's fine. Russ is shooting it over the you the defense. Backboard. He gives you the defense all the time. Caruso the same. Gives you the defense all the time. Gives you the effort, gives you the energy, plays both sides of the ball, defends the perimeter, defends the three-point line. They both rebound on the defensive end. All three of them rebound. Terrific rebounders for guards and one a forward. Another important element where the Lakers constantly get beat. 
Anthony Davis can't get every rebound. It's not Wilt. Only one of those. Only one Wilt Norman Chamberlain. Look him up, folks. There you are. Simply because you got greedy. You got impatient. All you had to do was think not once, but twice. Understand where you were. Understand where you are. And understand you're not that far from getting back to where you were with what you've got. Just supplement, not tear down and rebuild. Nice getting back to those pre-LeBron James days, though, where you're fucked before the All-Star break even happens. Shout out, by the way, to Aaron Rodgers, who won his second consecutive Most Valuable Player Award earlier this evening. No surprise. As Terrell Suggs once yelled to the New England Patriots, have fun at the Pro Bowl after beating them in the postseason. Aaron, have fun watching the Super Bowl. Enjoy it, everyone. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, from my partner, the great John Tony Lund, he is the new report. I am Al from White Plains, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. I am the old report. Have a great Super Bowl Sunday, everybody.